when you're writing a script of a film, who is the hero? What do they have to do? What's stopping them? How can you help? What does your personality have to be like? You'll realize that when it comes to a lot of marketing communication, a lot of it can, you can take analogies from this and apply to this. Welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. Join your host, Dots Oyobulu, as he learns from CMOs, agency leaders, and business leaders about the state of performance marketing, plus insights on strategies, campaigns, and intelligence for commercial impact. Connect the dots and enjoy the latest episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com. Hi, marketers. This is Dots, and welcome to the Marketing Leadership Podcast. With me here is Andrew Davis, founder and lead trainer at Talk Digital and a renowned content marketing expert. We will discuss the future of performance marketing strategic frameworks. I know you guys are ready, so let's get it. Andrew, welcome. How are you doing? Well, thanks for having me, Dots, and I'm very good at the moment. Very, very good. Can't complain. Absolutely, absolutely. It's an honor to have you here. And let's just start off with you telling us about yourself, your background, your role, and how you've come to rise to the zenith where of content marketing. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure about the zenith, but I'm trying. So I've worked online my whole career. So ever since I graduated university, my first job back in 2001 was I used to moderate chat rooms and forums for a television show in the UK called Pop Idol. It was kind of Simon Cowell's first one. And from that, American Idol and all of the others stemmed from. So it's his first one. So I used to work on that show, moderating the chat rooms and the forums. So I was working for them, worked for Liverpool Football Club, worked for PlayStation and a site that was popular in the UK called Friends Were United. So uh, that was from 2001 to 2002. I then ended up getting a job at the BBC because working online wasn't a proper job back then. If you said you worked on online, it wasn't a proper job 20-something years ago. So I ended up at the BBC, ended up at one of the radio stations there called Radio One Extra. I was part of the team to launch it and I was working and producing radio shows there for about four and a half years. And that's when I kind of started to understand the power of digital content. In 2006, I was doing a show in San Francisco and I was poached by a small startup just being bought by Rupert Murdoch for about 600 million. And it was a new thing called social networking, social media. And I left the BBC and I was part of the team to launch MySpace like, in the UK. So that was 2006. So to give you some context, Facebook was only available to students. So yeah, it was really early days of social media. When I was there, for, I saw the rise and I saw the fall. And in 2009, I left. And since then, I've been training predominantly training or doing keynotes and consulting all over the world on how to use digital to do X, be it content management or content creation, be it performance marketing, SEO, social media. In the last year, generative AI has been popular, but yeah, it's taking digital and putting a, a meaning behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And we are going to talk about generative AI in a moment, but yeah, that is a very great wrap there. And I also like something else about you. I follow a lot of my guests like a stalker and your love for brand campaigns in general is something I also share. And from your years of experience, this is 23, 24 years now, 
what are some of the top lessons that you've learned that younger like marketers like myself can learn from when it comes to developing brand stories that have a global impact? I guess some of the key lessons. Now, I can give my input because I've trained, you're looking 15, 16,000 people over the last 15 years. I'm also going to give some of their inputs because it's, it's almost like a research experiment that I've, I've stumbled upon. I would say, one, keep it simple. Just keep it simple. The best idea is the idea that makes you say, why didn't I think of that? We could make things complicated, but especially if you're young, it's easy. People make things complicated because money can be made. When there's confusion, money can be made. So that's one of the reasons why people make things more complicated than it needs to be. So that's one thing. Secondly, especially if you're young, patience. The reality is you might have a great campaign and you're like, I've got this idea and this is what I want to do with it. But sometimes that might not be the idea that goes viral. Sometimes it might be an idea where you're not even thinking about it. You just put it out there and that's the one. So I often say to people, be patient. If you're consistent and patient, there are two things that's really going to help you when it comes to the execution. And the last one I would say is focus. Stay focused. It's very easy to be distracted with different technologies, different platforms, different ideas. But definitely focus is key because especially when you start getting into the, all the generative AI stuff, it's easy every day there's something new coming about. So I would say stay focused, know what your objectives are, what you want to measure, what your KPIs are, and then just deliver. Yeah, I, and I love the angle of patience because sometimes we are not patient for different reasons. When you're proposing a campaign that you think might have some virality involved, they are usually radical in nature. Even if you get the simplicity right, there's a bit of, it's my work, I need to defend it. And there's this, stakeholder management that goes on, whether they should go on or not, and stuff like that. But patience is always important to say, okay, let me take a step back. Is, is there a 1% chance that this is going to backfire? And what is that? And why should that avoid that? So that, that's a good learning if you're listening. Everything else you probably know if you're listening, if you're on this kind of podcast. But what you might need to know as a new guide is being patient. So that's great. The topic here, strategic marketing frameworks, or in some cases, marketing frameworks. And I want to look at a few elements in terms of what marketers should focus on going forward. Marketing is one of those fields, just like any other field, that there's always something new coming up. And sometimes that is good. <laughs> sometimes that is not good. In the case of strategic framework, growing up in the marketing space, I'm, of course, from that, I'm much younger than you, but I've learned about the flywheel by HubSpot. The race technique, we have the pump and funnel, which is very new. I did speak to David Bain, who has a course on that. And then there is the demand chain for B2B that has been trending for a while. So we have a lot of models going on. And there are some from Forrester. I can go on and on. My question is this, back to simplicity. And I also share simplicity. Why can't we just have one model that is for B2B and another model that is for B2C. Why do we have to have all these different models that if you look at them critically, overlap in some ways? There's a couple of reasons why. Going back to the last thing you said, a lot of it is the same, especially in digital. And it really is, how can I create awareness, get my message out there, get my content out there, 
Once people see it, how can they engage with it? And then how can I convert them? That essentially is what all of the models pretty much do. And some go into more detail. So when you talk about, for example, engagement, there's models around different types of engagement. When you talk about creating awareness or creating content to get that awareness, there are models like the Hero Hub Hygiene model. So conversion is several models there. So to have one model, it'll be quite difficult to have one, even though it does roughly the same thing because of the detail going into it. The second reason why there's not one model is because let's say, for example, Dots, you create this model and everyone knows you for this model, then you can become famous because of that model. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that's an example. Um, Stephen Covey with his the Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, which essentially is a model. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the content quadrant. Models are marketable. People can get famous of a model. So if there was just one model, then there's no way marketers or communicators or teachers could get famous as well. So that's another reason when it comes to the models. But frameworks do work, depending on situations. You know, if you're in the B2B world, to have one model is, is quite difficult because, for example, you might have to wait a year, 18 months to get a sales cycle. So within that 18 months, there's many different things that can happen. Then adding digital, because this is even pre-digital, adding digital where it's different ways that you can attract people's attention, different ways they can engage, different consideration stages. What do you do once you've had that phone call and they're, they're deciding what? Is there different models or different frameworks you can speak to them there? And B2B software is different to, I work for a mobile phone company and I'm selling mobile phones to the business side of things. So everyone has a company phone. It's different types of B2B as well as B2C. So that's why there's several different models. But the key for marketers is knowing what one works for you. There are some universal ones like the SWOT analysis or ADA, tension, interest, desire, action. There's some universal ones, but then the key is knowing what one works for you. And that's why I talk about focus, because again, focus, that's relevant. That basically is it. Like it's important for us to see, okay, this is my business situation. This is the kind of product market fit I'm trying to get. And which one of these models tie into that? And then when you, if you've done as much strategy as Andrew has or as I have, you would know that there comes a point in developing strategies that models goes out of the door. <laughs> All you just want to do is reach out to this customer. They want to know about your brand. They want to affiliate with your brand. They want to know your product. They want to buy. They want to be served properly and they want to be happy and then whatever details goes into that and then you can really go into the rabbit hole and do your thing but i wouldn't stress enough that just do what works for you and then i will keep in mind andrew as i'm as an upcoming influencer not to be too cynical or convincing because i want to get a name for myself when it comes to developing models or staying stuff anyway that was just a side joke yeah, you need to be flexible as well. There are frameworks, but that's all there is, just a framework. It's almost saying this is the best practice. These are the things that's going to appear. The answers may be different, but these are the things. So be flexible because everyone's situation is different as well. Yeah, absolutely. I would like us to talk about storytelling, which cut across journeys, models, structures, framework. And I would like to get some of your experiences on the best way to look at storytelling and how companies are able to use storytelling to build brand equity 
And it's, if it is for those looking for immediate to long-term revenue, how they use storytelling to get that done? What is your approach to storytelling for strategic frameworks in general? Well, storytelling is the key because, and I don't know, maybe I have a bit of bias here because throughout my career... Please, bias is welcome. Yes, yeah, so stories has always been told to me to use almost in every aspect of my career. So when I was working in radio, when I was doing especially daytime radio, you've got three hours to fill. And yes, you've got music, but what are the stories that you're going to tell in between the music? When the mics are on and you need to keep people's attention. That essentially is when I first started learning stories. When I went to MySpace, I started understanding a different type of story, like more to do with the content that you create. When it comes to what I do now is I'm very much focused on the user journey story. Who is your user? And if you want to break it down into story, you can break it down to film. When you're writing a script of a film, who is the hero? What do they have to do? What's stopping them? How can you help? What, how, what does your personality have to be like? Like all of these things, you realize that uh, when it comes to a lot of marketing communication, a lot of it can, you can take analogies from this and apply to this. So when it comes to storytelling, when it comes to getting people down the funnel from the awareness stage to the conversion stage, or even afterwards, the re-engaging stage and the becoming advocates, there's a story that fell throughout each bit. But the key thing of any story is who's the hero of the story. And it's not you. Is always going to be the end and the customer. So regardless of whether you're B2B, B2C, what industry, it's always important to focus on the, the end communicator or the end customer or user or consumer because they're the one you're trying to convert. Yeah, you're right. More power has been given to the people today, whether it's B2B or even B2C, and they are the hero. And I like the way you broke down the hero story, which is Harvard, again, back to models and credits. Harvard as the strategic model of the job to be done, which is just a fancy word for customer needs. Let me use the euro analogy here. Dots is the customer is the hero. What is the job that it needs to be done? And then it needs this brand to get the job done for him so that he can achieve that objective or that job to be done and become the hero in their share of life, whatever that scenario is, whatever that funnel title is. So I will personally take that to heart. And if you're listening, I think it's always a great way to look at every kind of campaign you run on any kind of medium. Andrew just spoke about radio and movie. Look at everything and see if, it answer, if you're able to answer those questions. It doesn't have to be step by step, or if you're able to answer all of them, why not if not? Andrew, let's have a bit of fun here. Go ahead. You want to say something? Pixar, I don't know if it's still online. You have to check this, but Pixar has a course. It's a free course on how they go about writing script or writing stories. Or obviously they're very popular, Pixar and Disney, etc. So free course. So what you can do, and this is how I came up with a lot of my stories, was I, w I did the course and then I said, right, how does this work from a marketing point of view? How does this work from this brand's point of view? How does it work from a B2B or a B2C? And then I just kind of just paralleled it and it really helped me. So I'm pretty sure the course is still online. Just type in Pixar free storytelling course or something along those lines. That is good. If you're listening, you also see that as links in the resources. So feel free to, to check that as well. Is it a free course? Yes, yeah, free course. Free course. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I'll also check it out as well. 
And speaking of storytelling, yesterday I was searching just to see, I think with the Barbie trend going on, but the movie itself, there was slightly more spent on marketing than the movie itself. So I was, so I was trying to check how much they've made so far. And then when I Googled Barbie, the fame I get like uh, on my phone, I get like a pink fireworks and I get a pink view. And I, I share that on my social media platform. My question is this, we are looking at models, we are looking at frameworks. And you mentioned the SWOT analysis, strengths, weakness, opportunities, and threats. Where do you think this strategic approach for Barbie had come up, whatever they did to go viral? On which quadrant of the SWOT analysis do you think it had come up? I have a feeling that I know what you're about to say, but I would like you to even dive deep more into why it's that quadrant of the SWOT analysis. I'm thinking you would say opportunity, no. No? Okay. Nah. I would say strengths. And the reason I say strengths oh, is... okay. I didn't think it was going to be strength. <laughs> the reason why I say strengths is because when you break down this campaign, so fantastic campaign, what's going on. But the reason why it worked is because you got a strong brand. It's like the Avengers films. Like, people knew who Spider-Man was before a film. People knew who the Hulk is before the film, or even DC. Everyone knows who Superman is. So... There's a brand there. My sister had Barbie dolls and my sister's older than me. So it's a brand that's been going for decades. So that's the first thing. That's a strength. The second thing is color. Pink. Do you know what I mean? It's not like they're playing with the color red or they're playing with the color blue. It's pink. All they can do is just go onto Facebook and all of a sudden Facebook is now pink for a day. They don't even have to mention Barbie, but people will know it's connected. So having that pink is a strong, strong color. The third, I would say, is to do with money. As you said, they spent 150 million, I believe, on marketing. Once you've got 150 million budget, that's a lot because you can get your content in a lot of places. I'm sure there's people that's had better ideas than what they've got, but they just didn't have the money to get it to as many places as that. So I would say, that's why I say it's strengths. Opportunities, yeah, there are opportunities there, but I would just say it's the strength. The opportunities wouldn't matter if they didn't have the strong brand and, and all of the other free. Yeah, and I'm not saying this because it's a podcast, but I think I agree with you. And the reason is that I'm a lover of documentaries and I've seen the documentary Toys That Made Us. So if you love marketing and you love documentaries, you should go see that on Netflix. Yeah, so we've got Barbie and some of the other brands in there. So yeah, having them to leverage pink was also, I think, very brilliant. Maybe that's why I could steal a bit of opportunity in there because the Barbie brand, as we know, has been very dynamic these days. But we also know that the target audience for Barbie is really mostly the female folks and pink is like the best, one of the best colors. So that sort of makes sense. What I love about what they did though is that they prove to the world that it takes budgets to go viral. Well, maybe I'm not 100% right about that. Just like you said, there are many other creative ideas like this that I've not seen the light of day because there's no budget, you know. And then the fact that they also brought in everybody, not just females, male and female into the space, I think is really brilliant. And yeah, it's, I guess, what a, what a time to be alive. It's been a while we've seen marketing initiatives this fire Okay, well, moving on with our topic here in strategic frameworks, 
So you've got this framework, but we also need a marketing team to run it like a well-oiled engine or a well-oiled machine. And a few things I would like us to look at. Our listeners, we respect and honor them a lot. So we wouldn't go through things that they already know, but things that they possibly might not know when it comes to executing marketing strategies. Now, if you're looking at ideas to implementation, like the journey through that, when it comes to like digital marketing transformation, it's a very difficult journey, especially when you're in the enterprise game. It's easier to develop the content in some cases. Some cases, it's not as easy to drive the content. So you have to work with IT, media buyers, and all these guys. You have to work with service. You have to work with sales on distribution and so on and so forth. My question to you is this. From your consultants with thousands of business leaders across the world, how have you ensured that ideation and transformation move at the same pace so that way or is it even possible to have ideas run at the same level with implementation without too many challenges i think it's it's very very difficult to get both working at the same time yeah i guess it's possible but because something always happens sometimes it's about whoever's the most flexible wins so you have the idea, then you have the implementation. Very rarely do you go, this is the idea and everything just works smoothly to implementation. It's always something that's going to happen. It's that saying that Mike Tyson says, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And then all of a sudden, all those months of working, it just, just doesn't happen anymore. And I believe that's true. So sticking with the boxing analogy, the best boxer in the last, say, 10 years, 15 years, or one of the best is being Mayweather. And Mayweather's very good count he sees the situation and he adapts according to the situation and i think that's what's going to happen we can have an idea but many people's got ideas you can go to chat gpt type in give me 25 ideas about this and it will come up with those ideas so having ideas now is not that difficult executors so an execution there could be many things happening especially if you're dealing in the digital space because people are involved in too many different aspects so and once you get people in the equation, anything can happen. So I think when it comes to ideation to delivery, it's about how you react. It's about starting. It's about doing what you have planned. But if certain things happen, how are you going to react to it? How quickly are you going to react? Is it going to affect your resources, i.e. time and money? Are you used to reacting this way? How are the people responding to you? How are you managing all of it? If it's going to go bad, what's your reputation stroke crisis management strategy like? So for me, it's not so much the idea to implementation because, like I said, very rarely does it ever run smoothly. In fact, hardly ever runs smoothly. So it's a case of, all right, this is what we're going to do. This is ideally how it would work. But if it doesn't, we've got plan B or plan C. We know what to do. And that's how, because everyone's fighting for attention. Everyone's fighting to get somewhere online. Everyone's fighting to get customers. So if you need to know how to fight, and one of the best ways to fight is to counterfight. See what the opposition is doing, and then you respond to that to stop them and nullify them. And, and that's essentially what you should do in situations like that, or what I believe. Yeah, I think you've got a great point. Being flexible is very important to try to keep the pace moving as much as possible. But something else you said that I love is, I'll put it in another language, being proactive. If I'm running a Barbie campaign, for example, are there areas that this could go wrong? Is there a plan for that? 
thankfully it didn't look like it went wrong but let's just say things were going to go wrong do you have a plan for that like you said plan b plan c or whatever so it's also very great to be very proactive even in the way you manage stakeholders i am often a fan of being communicative as much as possible with stakeholders because that way they accept progress versus targets and you don't have to be afraid that they're going to fire you because you are not meeting a target because they see the way you're moving with progress they see the way you use data in making cost corrections you run the campaign sensibly and they will embrace that but not until you communicate regularly that's one proactive way i would say it depends on the stakeholders some people if you've got a nice stakeholder like amazing that's the type of person you want you communicate with they're like okay cool that's going well i see what you've done here and blah blah but a lot of people not like that well they might say all right let's jump in and then because they've jumped in and then it starts spoiling it communicating is always important it's always a priority but this is where you need as a marketer need to know how much information you should say to that particular person at that particular time because by giving them too much they might jump in and then go and ruin everything because if things are doing really really well they want to take credit so they're going to come in and they're going to say all right thank you thank you young person let the big boys deal with it now and that doesn't mean it's going to work that could backfire and i've seen it happen many times so just be aware of that sometimes if you give them too little information then they'll be like what's going on and etc so this is a skill that you're not going to necessarily learn from a textbook this is just experience and knowing the person and this is another big part of being a communicator is just knowing what makes that person tick and how much information they should know at that particular time yeah makes sense and it is a great ingredient to keeping your strategic framework alive too so thanks for sharing that perspective i would like us to look at another angle from a strategic framework side and that is influencer marketing Influencers important at every stage of the funnel maybe but that is not exactly the question I'm asking is how influencer marketing has changed over time now we have almost every celebrity out there having their own brands and sometimes they have to deal with conflicts of interest and so on and so forth i'm not saying influencer marketing still doesn't work especially at the top tier but it's getting much difficult by the day and the wisdom i'm trying to seek from you here is the kind of alternatives so have you seen the effective use of native influencers by native i mean dots working for our sponsor content allies and influencing through marketing or podcast marketing that is an angle there but there's also like micro influencers who are might not be as popular as the big boys but they've got a bit of influence from a local level and things can grow from the inside out. So in terms of alternate influencer marketing and feel free to give some other ideas as well. What are some of the things that you've been seeing these days that work for brand campaigns and also tying well into strategy? Okay, so a lot of brands I've noticed are using micro influencers. Now this is not every brand, but rather than go off for free macro or celebrity influencers, they will go after 50 micro or nano influencers the smaller ones now 
the reason being is because sometimes it's easier to go after a lot of the smaller ones because they're more likely to work with you because ego hasn't come into it or they're more true to the brand because they're quite small still. I feel sorry a bit for influencers because I know some people that are big influencers love a particular product, but they feel that if they talk about that product, people don't believe them because they're like, oh, you're not saying anything because you're going to get paid off of them. And then they don't want to, to talk about it for free because if they talk about it for free it's going to lower the value of them because some other brand will say well you spoke about that one for free or for hardly nothing why can't you do it for us so there, there is that dilemma that the macro influencers are going into as i said the micro nano again a lot of people see them as more authentic but they want to grow and some of them they want to eventually become full-time influencers how it links to the funnel I've seen influencers work at awareness stage all the way to conversion stage. I've seen it all different types. And awareness is pretty straightforward. When someone's doing a podcast and they're talking about this particular product, conversion, you see it when people, let's say Manscaped, that was quite a big one. If you want a, this particular trimmer, go to manscaped.com and type in dots and get 30% off. And that 30% probably goes to you. So that's a conversion thing. So it happens at all different stages of the funnel. Alternatives, though, is organic traffic or talking about frameworks. Yeah, frameworks or models, the paid and earned media. Another alternative is you pay, and that's to advertise. And technically, influence sits between paid and, uh, and earned. So you can pay. You can earn it, and earn it may, could mean different things. It could be through your social media. So the content you put out on social media could be through partnerships that you work with different partners as well, drive traffic by search or, or email, and then owned, just again, people on your website. If you want to look at it from a framework point of view, if you see other alternatives to advertising, you can always look at paid, owned, earned, and then from there, look at the different types of paid or the different types of owned and the different types of earned, and that's alternatives to influencers. But I would say this, if done correctly, influencer marketing is still the best return on investment if done correctly if it works i think it's the best return from a paid point of view more than advertising yeah it leverages on the behavioral economics of social proof and that is way more powerful sometimes than looking at the fact that we are in a knowledge economy right now whether it's the b2c knowledge economy or the b2b knowledge economy which we both play so yeah you're, you're, you're right about that actually and I would encourage brands to also just have a mix, have an influencer marketing mix, just as explained by Andrew here. And even the internal side of influencing is growing. And yeah, if you were able to max that as much as you can, then definitely you can plug that in at every stage of the funnel and continue to push people along to get their jobs done. We, I would like, and sorry if I delayed this, but I, we all know about you, for those who know you, that you are one of the, the greats when it comes to generative AI. And even though generative AI is just new, but from a marketing application perspective, I think based on what I've seen so far, not many people can break things down just like you, which is great. Now, I would like you to talk about some of the benefits that you are starting to see when it comes to using generative AI maybe through content or through channels or even in the backend operations and stuff like that. What are some of the things that you're looking at that you think people should pay attention to? Sure. So when it comes to generative AI, 
the first thing I would say, and what I say to anybody who I train in this subject, is that it's very new. This time last year, hardly anyone was talking about generative AI. AI, yes, we've been talking about AI for years, artificial intelligence for years, but generative AI, I would say, was the first step that made people say, ah, wow, look at this. Just like with augmented reality, people were talking about that for years, but really it was Snapchat and the filters and that Pokemon Go game that made people say, oh, okay, I get what it is now. So generative AI is just one part of AI, obviously. Now, how it's going to benefit businesses, if you look at the main generative AI models, the text-to-text -text model. So I text something, some prompt into a chat box, and it gives me an answer. So the most popular one is chat GPT. And whatever version you use, whether it be 3.5 or chat GPT 4, the whole point of that is I can get, well, I can get many different things. I can summarize information. I could get it to create my emails. I can use it for idea generation. It can help me write tweets. I can use it to create content. Some of the plugins, it can help me book things with, for example, the code interpreter. I can create code. I can create graphs. I can take my data and make it mean something. So where you've got the likes of ChatGPT, and I would say within the next year, you're going to see Claude 2. I think that would do quite well. Perplexities quite well. Barred by Google, even though right now it's not there, but it's Google. As soon as they launch it within Chrome, game changer. I would say that's one way to use it. Then you've got text to images, which is a really interesting space. All of a sudden, it changes their marketing. It changes their communication. It changes their branding. It changes their personality. So that's another thing. Then you've got the text to audio space, and that takes you to a whole other level, be it for accessibility. So accessibility is a big thing. Or be it via podcasts or whatever it may be. Transcription and, yeah, many different things. And then you've got text to video, I would say is about a year behind text to image right now. So where we are right now with text to video, it's, it's okay. But if it was a year ago and I was going through, let's say mid journey or some of the, those ones, I would say, yeah, the technology is amazing, but the quality is, is okay. Actually, I can do this better in Photoshop. It takes me a bit longer, but I can do it better in Photoshop. Now, second to none. And who knows where it's going to be in a year's time. So video is it's okay, but in a year's time, it will be in a really good space. But ultimately, if you're going to use generative AI, be it B2B, be it B2C, be it an exciting brand, be it a traditional brand, be it you think your brand is boring. These tools, there's two things you need to master. One is the prompt. What do you type into these platforms to get the answers? Whether you want to get images, codes, videos, audio, whatever it is. The second, and this is the hardest bit, is your imagination. What do you start? Because when you break down the question, like how should brands use it or how should brands use it part of the funnel, essentially it's saying you, you could put that into ChatGPT or any of them. And where do I focus? Where, what area should I go? What's my personality like as a brand? All of these things. And that's why I say when I'm training people and all of these tools, it's almost like to say, like, what we need to master is your prompts and your imagination. But if we can work those, the rest will just fall into place. So this is why I would say when it comes to generative AI. Now, I don't know much about like, the technical side of things. I don't know how it works. You can't put me in, on a panel with experts and expect me to hold my own from that point of view. I couldn't do that. 
But I do know from a marketing point of view, I do know from a communications point of view, I do know from an awareness to conversion point of view, what I like to see. And from my years of experience working in digital, I've pretty much been there from the beginning. I saw AdWords, I saw social media, I saw influencer marketing, et cetera. You start noticing patterns and I'm noticing the same patterns with generative AI. So these are the key things. Just understand prompts and your imagination. Wow. Wow. I will say this first before I try to summarize the things you said. When it comes to, again, back to the joke of credits and frameworks, I think just keep doing what you're doing because five years from now, people are going to look at you as the one who figured out how marketers can use the AI or machine learning trend. And all this that you mentioned in terms of the applications and the way you simplified it to say it's about the prompt, I guess it's the imagination first, and then the prompt second, or however that sequence looks like, and simplifying our perception on how to use it is awesome. I'm really grateful for that perspective. And like I said again, I will follow you forever, especially on this. Keep doing what you're doing. And this, the breakdown is awesome. I'm involved in podcast promotion, production strategy, and I see a lot of some of the applications you just mentioned as well. But based on the things you've said, it goes way beyond that. So thank you so much for that. Before I let you go, I have a couple of other questions, but we'd like to take a quick commercial break from our sponsor. Please, if you're listening, it's just going to take a few seconds. And when we're back, I'm going to ask Andrew a few things when it comes to best practices to make sure we hone in on our own strategic frameworks and grow every business that we are involved in. I'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. If you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com. It's the Marketing Leadership Podcast with Dots, and I'm here with Andrew Davis. It's been an amazing discussion so far, speaking about the various aspects of marketing frameworks, strategic marketing frameworks. And now, Andrew, when it comes to building this system for marketing and growing companies or growing brands for marketing or with content, for example, there are many things that happen, whether it's behind or outside the scenes. Things like brand and performance integration, things like real-time marketing intelligence, things like operational agility at the back end, going back to the engine analogy I mentioned, and calculated risky innovation. You have mentioned a few things about that as well, and even talked about how we could leverage AI to do that. But are there some thoughts you would like to share on what it takes, basically, to run a very successful marketing operation? And if there are other bits as well, free free to share that might be useful for us. Sure. There's many different aspects and it, it varies depending on the organization. So I'll try and work out some commonalities. When it comes to the operation, so regardless of what you do, who it is, content is going to have to play a part in what you do. And content is anything you put on the internet. It could be a website, it could be a white paper report, it could be a tweet, it could be a TikTok video. So it could be anything. So content plays a big part, but then who's going to manage the content? Who's going to create the content? Is it an agency? Are you going to do it in-house? 
Is it the digital team? Is it the marketing team? Is it the PR team? Is it the account managers? Who's going to create? But ultimately, content is the blood of the internet. Now, when it comes to content, you can create the best content in the world, but if nobody sees it, so what? So you need to understand how people can find that content. And this is when I often say to organizations, when it comes to your operations, it's not a case of content is king, which we've been told for many years. No, content is king if people see it. Who can distribute? If you're doing it on social media, how do the algorithms work? So when it comes to the operations, it's like, okay, well, who's going to manage that bit? Because that's going to play a big part in that promotional side of things. And then the last thing, uh, sorry, included within that is the engagement, et cetera. Things go wrong. Who manages it? The risk management. Who's going to manage the whole thing? Project manage the whole thing. Manage each different campaigns. The last bit is conversion. And this is where you get more people involved. And that might be data analysis and number crunching and then giving it to the creation team to help create more content. So it's like a circle. So when it comes to whatever you want to call it, whether you call it the people in the back room, whatever it may be, it's really important to understand that digital is simple. It's not easy, but it is simple. And this is why we have 15-year-old millionaires. Every country in the world, be it Canada, Nigeria, Spain, England, like you know, there's kids that are millionaires. They don't have 20 people in their team doing all the operations, etc. The higher they up, the more people they might hire. But generally speaking, Mr. Beast, who's the biggest YouTuber, he, he doesn't have a team like the BBC or the Daily Mail. But his output and his conversion is... I'm addicted to Mr. Beast. <laughs> I think it's about 150 staff members. He had an interview with Graham Stefan. And you're right, his output is crazy. And, and, and I, I can tell you this right now, 150 for a media company that he could probably sell for billions. If you really think about what he's got, you might notice how much his company is actually worth. But let's say if it was worth 500 million. I don't know any media company that's worth 500 million with 150 employees, and most of them are probably outsourced. <laughs> so like, it just doesn't happen. So when it comes to operations, unfortunately, a lot of people are, are downsizing, slimlining, and AI is going to help that. And the reason I say fortunately or unfortunately is because it's good in the sense that you can be more efficient, and I like efficiency, but obviously people will lose jobs. So then it comes down to what we need to do when it comes to operations is how do we run a tight ship here? How do we be consistent? How do we be focused? How do we know what to look at? How do we be patient? How can we be hardworking or work smarter? How do we keep up to date with things? How do we ultimately make money or convert or whatever your conversion is, be it money, be it time, be it whatever it may be? That's a long way to kind of answer that question. No, no. And you've also covered the aspect of how technology can assist in doing that. By the way, the Mr. Beast was offered a billion dollars to sell all his digital properties and he rejected it. He feels it's going to be worth 10 billion in a few years time. Well, it's still 23. So that's maybe possible. I remember when I was at MySpace and Mark Zuckerberg turned down 2 billion for Facebook and people thought it was crazy. Because MySpace at the time, only a couple of years before, was sold for $600 million and YouTube and this is when I was at MySpace, was sold for a billion. And people were like, wow, a billion for, for YouTube. And he was offered two billion. And Facebook was only really in just, I think it just come out of college then. And people was like, you're an idiot for turning down two billion. And you know what happened there? So he might turn that money. And actually you realize that all of a sudden he's worth way more than that. And whoever 
offered him that knows that because nobody's going to buy something which is that which is which they can make money from so this is the key thing. essentially everybody is building soft assets hard assets is the building that you are in and the land and that's how people got rich but in this world it's all about soft assets and that's all to do with digital things like ips content communities operations and systems frameworks can be put in that so there's loads of different things and if you look at all of the richest companies in the world in the last 10 years, they're all soft asset companies. Netflix relatively recently started creating their own content. Facebook, Airbnb, Uber, like Airbnb doesn't own hotels like Hilton's or some of the other ones. And Uber, they don't own cabs or a lot of cabs. So again, it's the soft assets, it's the digital technology and data, et cetera. That's the value now. And everyone has the opportunity to do that. Yeah, we do. And from a marketing perspective, if done well, you could follow this podcast episode and other resources out there to make sure that you're marketing with purpose and you are focused. I think that's something else I didn't reiterate that Andrew had mentioned several times. I'm so incredibly happy, pleased, excited, and amazed with your marketing wisdom. And your history is great as well, like the way you brought in all the channels together to explain this concept of strategic frameworks. It's really a pleasure to have you on this show. Where can our marketers find you if they need to learn more about your work and access any of your resources? Sure. Where I'm active the most is LinkedIn. So it's linkedin.com slash IN slash Andrew M for mother Davis. And Davis spelled D-A-V-I-S. That's where I'm most active. You've got my website, which is andrewmilesdavis.com. I will be starting a podcast very soon. In fact, by the time this goes out, I probably will be started it already. It's going to be about generative AI, but not, as I said, it's not going to be talking about a lot of what you hear online. For me, it's generative AI in football or in sport or in film or in TV or in music, like popular culture. Yeah, that's what it's going to be called. It's called In a Nutshell or In AI Nutshell. So that's what the, the, the whole thing is called. And there'll be a newsletter to do with that. But hopefully by the time it comes out, I can put a link down to it and we can do that, the link. Yeah, hopefully you can also have one of our leaders at Content Allies involved uh, because I, I work with a colleague who is very fast in Descript. And Descript is a very powerful AI tools for around-the-clock podcast promotion. But yeah, we will definitely always keep in touch as we do. That's all for today, guys. Thanks for listening. Please see more episodes at dotslovesmarketing.com and subscribe to the Marketing Leadership Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Till next episode, Connect the Dots. Thank you for listening to the Marketing Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing. There will be links to any resources mentioned in today's show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Dots Loves Marketing, if you're a business needing content promotion, podcast campaign production, or are looking to build effective B2B marketing strategies, Dots is here to offer you ultimate marketing leadership and expertise. Find out more at www.dotslovesmarketing.com.